All right, you ready for this? Ready. Hey everyone, this is Tom Salemi. Welcome back to the Device Talks Weekly Podcast. I'm here live right now with my podcast partner, Chris Newmarker, Executive Editor of Life Sciences here at Mass Device. Chris Newmarker, good day, sir. Good day. It's a busy week. It's quarterly yes. week. Yes, it quarterly is. Quarterly month, we're, I guess. We're just cranking out these, uh, these earnings reports. So I'm a bit of a nerd when it comes to these quarterly reports. I probably, I like to listen to these calls and read the transcripts. Not all of them, of course, because I am not insane, but uh, the big ones. And uh, I know you folks parse through them as well. Kelly, it's riveting reading. I'd suggest it all the time. You know, you just, I mean, it's better than, it's better than Tolstoy. It's just. (laughs) But you can pick up on some things. And I think what was particularly interesting about the timing of these quarterly reports was the fact that this is the second time companies have had to step up and speak to analysts after the pandemic has set in. So the first time, April, May, was like, "Eh, I don't know, this is weird. Second time, they're definitely getting their footing. They're trying to identify trends and things they can act on as a company. So well, yeah, I and mean, as he said, it's kind of like you know earlier this year we had a lot of uh, executives you know saying that the the, for, the second quarter was going to be really tough. Now we've had the second quarter, and this is just a really good opportunity now with all these earnings calls to to hear from from the CEOs and like, okay, what what are the big trends now? What what's the quote unquote new normal now that you know we're just kind of in this pandemic? And going through this this list, we just sort of identified ten items, ten important trends within medtech that uh, we really do have to keep an eye on. So we thought we'd we'd run through them and then provide some uh, from snip some snippets from the quarterly calls just to kind of reinforce the point. So we'll start at number 10, Mr. Newmarker. You know, one of the really big trends we've noticed is that um, I mean, we're seeing this trend of a lot of companies are kind of like burying the hatchet on, you know, on, um, you know, IP and, you know, infringement lawsuits and really lawsuits in general. Um, you know, we've, we've had, um, you know, legal, legal experts in, in the space kind of tell, you know, suggest this was going to happen because, you know, companies, um, you know, just don't have as much uh, money available. They don't feel as comfortable to like, spend a bunch of money on legal battles. So they're saying, yeah, you know, it's better to, to make peace here and, uh, and move on. So, I mean, you know, we've seen settlements between Abbott and Ed- Edwards Life Sciences when it comes to IP. We've seen there's another big, you know, IP peace treaty between uh, Medtronic and Tandem Diabetes Care. And then just the other day, you know, when a uh, Bear, uh, you know, the, the huge, uh, you know, European, uh, you know, pharma company that also has a little bit of, of uh, medical devices too. They, uh, you know, they made uh, in their quarterly announcement announcements an announcement that they were setting aside nearly one point four billion dollars. You know, as you know, they said like kind of like the pace was quickening on you know getting some kind of settlement with the you know tens of thousands of you know women in the in the United States who have you know complaints over its uh, Esher birth control device, which isn't sold here in the U.S. anymore, but it's definitely like one of the big, um, just one of the really big problems in the industry in recent years. But it looks like you know, there's, a, there's a chance we might be seeing like a huge, uh, you know, settlement over Easter coming down. And that was, that was interesting news. And that's obviously a, a huge amount for them to set aside. So this came up in a few of the quarterly calls. And we're going to pull a uh, comment from Mike Musellum, the CEO of Edwards Life Science. He was, he was asked basically, you know, what are the benefits of, of putting these, uh, these IP fights behind them. So we're going to pick up this first clip 
right in the middle of a question being asked by Rick Wise of Stifle. Rick is asking about the settlement between Abbott and Edwards over the patents regarding transcatheter mitral and tricuspid repair products. Let's listen. I just when I think about over you know the last few decades, honestly, and these kinds of agreements, it, it's often been a positive for the, for the company signing it because the bars raised on competition, etc. So. What are the implications, the broader implications? It's nice to have it done. I get that part. Yeah, thank, thanks, Rick. You, you know we're passionate about this whole area of being able to help these mitral and tricuspid patients. When you're involved in a lawsuit, it just consumes a lot of energy. It, it not only consumes the energy of the legal team, but it pulls much of the senior team into it, and it pulls our field teams into it, it pulls our R&D teams into it, and it's just a distraction. So instead of having people focused on how can I do great things for patients, how do I advance this therapy, uh, you, you're involved in some kind of a chess match. So it, it's a real joy for us to say that that time-consuming distraction is gone and we can focus on the exciting innovations that help patients that are suffering from valve disease. All right. So that's interesting that, uh, you know, this is a time to sort of focus on the future. And in another way that uh, that companies are focusing on the future is is just holding on to what is theirs. And this was another comment, another point made by Mike Musalem. It was interesting that, you know, you and I, we love the innovation, right? Yeah. I mean, that's why we're really covering MedTech. Yeah. It'd be nice to see, you know, seeing more things that can just really like um, improve, you know, people's lives and, you know, save lives. But what's, what's interesting is that, you know, at this time when there's so much uncertainty, we're seeing that there's an opportunity for incumbents to sort of fend off the disruptors because the disruptors can't get in there. They can't show their new tech. And we'll talk a little bit about that later on. But this was another point that uh, Mike Musalem was asked about. Basically, as an incumbent technology, as an, as an incumbent company, yeah. do they have a benefit in, in fending off challengers, at least until uh, normalcy returns? So uh, let's hear what Mike Musalem had to say on this. Yeah, uh, thanks, Matt. Yeah, there may have been some advantage that we're the incumbent, but, you know, maybe the the bigger issue is um, that we've got some really trustworthy and proven results. Um, we, we, we've got, um, you know, people can count on the Sapien platform in terms of how it's going to perform. They don't have to worry so much about a pacemaker that's going to mean that a patient has to stay in the hospital longer very little chance of ICU. So they just have more confidence in the system. And, and frankly, there's just not many opportunities if you have something brand new to be able to train centers. And so there, there is some advantage, but I, I almost think the bigger advantage is from having a reliable system. Number 10 was the settlement of litigation. Number nine is the power of the incumbency. Number eight, really, this came up in several calls. It was just the, the look at these, the primary customers for MedTech, the hospitals, and where they are. I mean, the financial hit upon hospitals has been clear from the start. We've talked about this. The onset of, of COVID has kept out nearly all other patients, at least, at least initially, cutting into their revenue. And that loss of revenue has diminished the appetite for somewhat larger capital items. But uh, MedTech executives do see a room for optimism. Yeah, optimism sounds sounds good. Um, <laughs> better than the opposite, I guess. Um, but okay, so here here we've got uh, Intuitive Surgical CEO Gary Gotthard, you know, you know, talking about uh, utilization of their systems. You know, he says it, they are down, you know, twenty seven percent, and the company's definitely seeing a slow in demand right now for surgical robotics. Sure. So so we did see it. Um, you know, as as we 
reached the end of the quarter, we did see additional postponements of purchases. And we did hear from hospitals that they were back to evaluating their budget, thinking about what the ramifications of the costs of COVID treatment were, as well as thinking about, you know, the longer-term impacts of COVID in terms of a potential recession and, and uh, impact on their funds. And so I, I think, you know, the quarter was affected, the capital quarter was affected uh, by COVID. And, uh, and going forward, you're right, there, there will be first, we think, the impact of trying to bring back up systems to fuller utilization. Uh, 27% is a pretty steep decline. And we would expect that they will seek to fill that before they go out and buy more capital, particularly when they're already strained on the financial side. So uh, I think uh, it's, it, we started to see it this quarter, and I think we're going to continue to see uh, pressures on capital spend. All right. So that's Gary Guthard of Intuitive. Just continuing with that call, Rick Wise, one of the analysts, noted that 40% of robotic surgeons that they surveyed said that they're going to hold off on purchases. So Guthard accepted that. He said that capital will become available against, again, once demand, once procedures are up, once more systems are needed. In parallel, the company is going to continue to focus on improving their products and developing new features. And that, in turn, will make their devices more attractive and more desirable and more likely to be purchased. But another possibility, another possible positive outcome for MedTech would be the increase in, in dollars from different sources. Right, including like some of the uh, federal bailout funds for the you know for health providers. Exactly. Yeah, Kevin Lobo, the CEO of Stryker, notes that uh, the Federal Relief CARES Act committed only 170 it committed 175 billion. It's only dispersed 115 billion. So that 60 billion dollars just kind of waiting to be handed out. I guess we're going to hear from Kevin now on like what they're going to do about that. Like, what, what, you know, maybe they could get some of that money. Exactly. Yeah. No, Kevin's going to talk about the money flowing in from hospitals and also their, uh, their opportunity for them to, uh, to increase financing. He's actually has, as he'll say, a pleasant surprise for demand for Mako Surgical Systems. So let's hear from Kevin Lobo, CEO of Stryker. Okay, great. Well, so first of all, starting off with the CARES Act, so $175 billion has been authorized to go to hospitals. Only $115 billion has actually been dispersed, so there's still another $60 billion to be dispersed. And that's prior to the, the next round of legislation, right? So then the, the next stimula, uh, stimulation package will add to that. And so money is flowing to the hospitals. Uh, we were really pleased with the performance of medical, obviously. Small capital tends not to be as much of a worry. They need it to do the procedures. So that's why it tends to trend very, very closely with elective procedures. Uh, they need power tools to do the knee replacement. They need the cameras to do the general surgery Product. So that tends never to be really hit too much. It's more the large capital that tends to be the constraint. Uh, but because of the coronavirus, a lot of our large capital in terms of beds and stretchers were actually necessary, and we saw uh, those being purchased. Uh, Mako was really a pleasant surprise in the quarter to see the amount of, uh, of robots we were able to install. Uh, there, there, they, there was more financing than normal, I would say, in the, in the second quarter as hospitals tried to conserve as, as much short-term cash as, as they could. But it's hard to predict how this is going to play out over the course of the year. I, I would say for now we, we're feeling very good about uh, the state of our, our businesses. Um, internationally, we had a terrific performance out of medical, and a lot of that is the governments around the world really saying this is really important to have Lucas chest compression devices, very important to have ICU beds, etc. And so we had uh, just a terrific performance we also don't have Sage's as a much smaller business, 
for medical outside the United States. So that weighed heavily on our U.S. performance. We actually had strong medical capital in the United States as well. But uh, but we're feeling very good about uh, the, the state of the capital um, business. It's not like the last time where you didn't have this kind of stimulation from the government uh, to, to go, going directly into hospitals, and hospitals are very motivated to, to to increase their procedures. All right, well, just to recap, at number 10, we had settlement litigation as being a big issue in MedTech. Number nine is the power of incumbency, the ability to hold on to territory. Number eight is a recognition that hospitals are hurting. And now let's take a look at number seven, which is an accelerated push into interventional tools. Well, you know, talking about hospitals, you know, MedTech executives, you know, they're giving hospitals high marks for, uh, you know, for managing, uh, you know, the second surge of COVID-19 cases. Uh, you know, they've been able to, you know, treat new cases without completely shutting down, you know, parts of their hospitals. But at the same time, you know, they're also like moving, you know, there's been a move to get more patients into surgical procedures and outpatient settings. And, you know, tell me if I'm right, if I'm, you know, right about this, Tom, but I mean, this was kind of a trend before the pandemic began, right? Certainly was, but I think like everything we've seen, the pandemic has been sort of, sort of an accelerant and really has, has, has advancing trends. And uh, as Mike Mahoney at uh, Boston Scientific notes in this next clip from their call, it's going to be an even bigger part of their business going forward. So let's hear from Mike Mahoney. Yeah, so it's a big part of our business now uh, with especially divisions like uh, neuromodulation, uh, urology, peripheral interventions. So it makes up a big uh, slice of our business today uh, in a pre-COVID world. And now in a COVID world, you're seeing hospitals, uh, you know, not radically, but, but uh, shifting more procedures that are possible to an outpatient setting. And so we think that makes sense um, given the fact that we're a primarily an interventional medicine company. We think that's a long-term tailwind and uh, where you want to be positioned uh, versus potentially you know, more of a surgically oriented company. We're trying to really disrupt surgical with less invasive approaches, especially in our, uh, our endo business. So we think long-term, it's the right position for the company to be in. And many patients prefer the outpatient setting and hospitals are shifting as appropriately some of their mix to that setting. So we think that's all favorable for Boston and, and strategically the direction we're headed in. Okay, so here we are at number six. We've covered number 10, litigation. Number nine, the power of incumbents. Coming in number eight, are hospitals hurting but finding capital? And number seven is an increased or accelerated move toward interventional. Let's focus on the on the companies themselves. Kristen, your, your analysis of, of the earnings report, companies are, are all over, not all over the map, but in some cases, they're, they're cutting costs. One thing we haven't really talked is just the, the costs associated with COVID. Yeah, compl- yeah, absolutely. I mean, and kind of the fact that like, like, okay, yeah, I mean, there is this focus like, wow, like, I mean, for many companies, you're, you're seeing like these declines and sometimes really large declines in revenue right now. And there's a lot of talk, you know, like, well, but, you know, we're going to still innovate. You know, this is our opportunity as big tech companies to continue innovating. Um, but, you know, that, that costs money, you know, and, you know, I, I, I think one thing here's, this is going to be an interesting clip because we've got like Matt Taylor and an analyst with a UBS asking uh, Baxter's, uh, you know, CFO, Jay Sicaro to, you know, break down 120 million extra costs they have there over at Baxter. Yeah, let, let's listen to this clip because there's a, as we said, we, we focus so much on innovation and travel costs and such, but this is good. COVID is introducing some new costs that uh, may be with us for a long time. So let's listen. 
Yeah, Matt, maybe I'll make some commentary, but we, we will stop short of doing line item cost review. The, from, from, from an overall standpoint, you're right. Um, expedited freight is, a, is an important um, and significant driver. One of the things that we had to do is, um, because we were seeing higher levels of absenteeism, we were also having to hire temporary workers um, to mitigate that shortfall in employees. Um, and so that was another expense that we've experienced. Um, PPE is another expense. Now this will be more ongoing, so we'll look to manage this as effectively as we can because frankly, um, I think that PPE will be here to stay in manufacturing facilities. Um, and then, you know, and then like I said, um, uh, overtime and, and incremental bonuses for frontline workers, those others comprise the majority of the spending that we've experienced. Um, it's important when you get back to our priorities, number one, employees safe, Number two, continuity of life-saving supply. We have to ensure that, and we've done that. Um, and so we're, we're proud of the progress there, but you know, we're, we're mindful that there has been a real economic cost associated with this, and we will look to manage this down as quickly and swiftly as we can. Can I give you a timeline in terms of exactly when? You know, if the pandemic were to end today, um, you know, should we be able to recoup, recoup the vast majority of those uh, expenses in next year's budget? Um, I believe the answer is yes, but we'll have to go through our budget process. Um, and clearly the pandemic is not ending today. This is going to be with us for a time, um, and it's going to be with us in terms of, um, you know, level of severity. So, you know, that's, that's maybe some color for you on this $150 million. So number five is a big one to everyone in MedTech. I mean, obviously, we have not been able to do our device talks meetings due to uh, the pandemic. And even more importantly, perhaps to our industry, uh, MedTech companies can't uh, attend clinical meetings or are no clinical meetings, and they have trouble getting in the hospital. So we've heard from smaller companies like Explorer Surgical and Avail sort of setting up different tools and digital systems to to connect medical device companies to physicians and to hospitals. But the, the big companies are stepping up as well. This first clip, we're going to hear from Chris Barry. He is the CEO of Nuvasive, and he's asked by Matt Mixick of Credit Suisse just what Nuvasive is doing to uh, engage physicians. Let's listen. You know, th this has been a, 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 I think a bright spot for us as an organization. Uh, the work specifically with our clinical professional development team, Nuvasive, I think we, we pride ourselves on providing top-notch education and support to our certain partners and the clinical staff. And, and we've done that historically through, you know, one-on-one -on -one engagements, you know, people coming on site in San Diego, us going to the, to the hospital setting, and clearly that was a limitation uh, or, or, or basically was an impediment for us delivering that support and continuing that education. So, you know, the team was very creative. We, we really, I think, accelerated our online capability and our, and our digital capability. With the, with the webinar series that, that the team developed, our ongoing uh, uh, virtual training sessions, uh, all of those things, I mean, uh, the numbers were, were, were incredible to me. And the receptivity of our surgeons and, and their response to it has been overwhelmingly positive. So that has, you know, has, has also driven what we're now seeing, which is a much more, let's just say, vetted surgeon population 
and our request for a one-on-one training has, has, has never been higher. Chris Barry's comments were echoed by others, including Mike Mahoney at Boston Scientific. So, you know, they're, they're setting up these digital platforms, you know, now to, you know, help them contact and advise physicians more. And, um, you know, you got to think they must be doing it as well, just uh, with, with how they, you know, the, the top medtech executives, uh, you know, network among themselves because, they're still, you know, our next point here is how they're still in the, the market for M&A opportunities and investments. Um, I'd love to be in on a, a Zoom call where somebody's talking about buying someone else's company for a billion dollars or two. That would be pretty wild. No kidding. That would be a great conversation to be on. Well, we've heard from a few folks on the quarterly calls. Uh, Kevin Lobo, of course, of Stryker, we heard from him. He had uh, said that uh, Stryker will continue to look for tuck-in M&As. Michael Mahoney at Boston Scientific. He also said that Boston Scientific is still in the market. They're actually making more venture investments, later stage investments in their existing portfolio. They're really beefing up that but uh, they're also looking for uh, deals opportunistically. And uh, next we'll hear from Roland Diggleman, the CEO of Smith & Nephew. He was asked how he views the overall M&A market. Let's listen. Thank you, Kyle. Um, I'll I'll just start with your last question on on M&A. I would first uh, want to mention that our M&A strategy remains unchanged. We continue to look for uh, technologies and innovation um, that uh, fit with our uh, general strategy that we can leverage through our existing commercial footprint. Um, we continue to, to look very actively in the marketplace. Um, there may be some distressed assets here and there, but what we want to maintain is, is a clear strategic um, approach here and, uh, and um, also have the ability actually to be seen as a good owner out in, in, the, in the market. We have made five acquisitions last year. I think this has really been, um, I would say, a watershed moment for us as, a, as an organization. So we continue to be interested in, uh, in M&A, of course. Um, and um, while of initially, of course, the focus was on liquidity and, and cash flow, uh, we have a very solid balance sheet and, and that is a positive. Okay, so M&A is still in the air. That's great to hear. We're going to revisit sort of the the outpatient setting again. We talked earlier about the move toward interventional technology, but one other thing that has come up in these conversations, and and, and interventional is more of a technical, I guess, conversation, but from the marketplace, uh, big companies that are selling big expensive items are seeing more and more interest from ambulatory surgery centers, smaller surgery centers in uh, that, that are outside of the hospitals. Especially true in the ortho space. I mean, that's been considered like kind of like the, the next big thing for a few years. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's a really interesting trend. And gosh, it looks like it's that too is accelerating, you know, amid the pandemic. Exactly. And we're going to hear from a few companies. We'll start off again. We're hearing from them a lot. But uh, Kevin Lobo of Stryker says the numbers are still small, but they're growing. So let's listen. Yeah, sure, Matt. You know, we're not, we're not going to get into specific numbers um, as we, we stop providing that as you know, a couple of quarters ago. But, but I would tell you that we had slightly higher competitive placements than, than we had typically before and a bit more activity in, in the ASCs. And we, we've been selling to the ASCs before, so that's not new. But clearly uh, there is a, an accelerating trend towards uh, the ASCs. It was already starting to ramp, and I think the pandemic is causing that to increase further. Uh, keep in mind, there's still only about 5 to 10% of, of joint replacement procedures done in ASCs. So even though the ramp is, is picking up, it's going to take time before it becomes 
a very meaningful portion of procedures. But, but I would say those are the two areas uh, that were that were higher than normal was ASCs and competitive accounts. Hey, Chris, and to your point about this being a push tied to orthopedics. We're going to hear now from Roland Diggleman. He is the CEO of Smith & Nephew. We heard from him just a few minutes ago. And uh, he is also seeing uh, an increased interest in uh, or from ASC. So let's hear what he has to say. Uh, It's it's still a small number, of course, because um, the majority of the capacity um, is in the the central hospitals. Um, I would say for us, it is uh, close to about 10% of our knee sales um, it is a higher proportion, I believe, than, than for others. Um, and it has, and, and I think that's the more important message, is we've seen a, a good growth in ASCs um, during this crisis, albeit at the low level because the entire volumes were depressed. Um, but we, we continue to see this trend evolving, and, uh, and we feel that we're very well positioned uh, to benefit from the move to decentral and ambulatory. Kevin Lobo's last comments about the strength of the MAKO surgical system largely reflects the positive feelings about the robotics surgery industry. Robot makers, including Stryker, including Smith & Nephew, were positive going forward, even with the the pressures presented by the pandemic that uh, they will continue to place systems into hospitals. One of the biggest pieces of news, of course, belongs to Johnson & Johnson. In July, the company announced that it decided not to follow a 510k clearance pathway for its general surgery robot, but instead would follow a more intensive PMA process. So this puts off the uh, development or the testing of the the robotic system for a few years. And in this clip, we hear from Johnson & Johnson CEO, Alex Gorski. He says that the company is still very excited about the sector and explains some of the thought into the delay. You know, first of all, I just want to restate um, our excitement about the overall digital space. And and when we look at uh, the potential of this market, uh, currently being less than 5% penetrated, and and understandably, uh, that's indicative of some markets in the United States at well over 50% for certain procedures. But on a global basis, uh, we think there is just tremendous growth opportunity. Uh, two, if you just look at the acceleration of technology uh, that we're also seeing, and uh, clearly that's a, you know, been uh, the driving force behind our investment, uh, both in RS but also our partnership uh, with Verb and Verily. And, uh, and as we brought those um, uh, different capabilities, those different technologies together, I think it's uh, actually reinforced uh, the potential and the possibilities that we see uh, in surgery for the future. And, uh, and I also think it's important to note that uh, we continue to see really uh, good uptake with our Monarch system. Uh, we're going to expand the system with multiple specialty applications, with endourology next in line for U.S. approval for the treatment of kidney stones. And that market in itself is about twice the size of where we are today. Uh, we're making good progress, uh, even with uh, you know, as our teams deal with the COVID-19 situation on the general surgery robotic platforms, and that's for both Verb and Aris, we think that it clearly enhances uh, not only the, the capabilities but our value proposition uh, and our ability long-term to really create and, uh, um, and launch a differentiated platform. Um, as, uh, as Joe, or I believe Chris uh, may have alluded to earlier in their uh, points. We continue to have ongoing conversations with regulatory authorities around the world. Uh, We will not be following a 510K regulatory pathway for the U.S., 
And after analyzing time to market compared to the overall value proposition, look, our goal is to initiate first in human studies with our robotic solution in the second half of 2022. Uh, and again, we think there is significant potential. Uh, we continue to be impressed uh, by the technology advancements that we're seeing uh, with both the Verb and Verily and the, uh, the RS combination. Our teams are making very good progress. Uh, you know, as we speak, and um, and we'll we'll be providing more information as well in a digital, uh, and we'll be providing you some further updates uh, regarding a more focused digital review uh, in the coming months. So stay tuned. But uh, I think we're as excited as ever about the the possibility and the potential uh, in this market. All right, Chris, let's run down our list. Number ten, settlement of litigation. Number nine is the power of incumbency. Number eight, we talked about how hospitals are hurting but finding a way. Number seven was the move to interventional technology. Six was COVID-related costs. Five, the building of digital outreach to physicians. Number four, the presence of M&A opportunities. Number three, the rise of ambulatory surgery centers. Number two, the state of robotics. And what is our last, final, and number one COVID-related trend, Chris? You know, and really now for, you know, our final point, it's, it's really about uncertainty here. I mean, you know, the, you know, I mean, which I mean, that that's really in my experience, you know, covering business for the for the past decade. I mean, that's one word that business people hate the most is, you know, to say that there's uncertainty. But, you know, the pandemic certainly is, um, you know, all all about that. I mean, who knows when, you know, the next you know wave is going to pop up? Um, who knows, you know, you know, when we're going to get, you know, vaccines that, or, or treatments that could, you know, make the, the pandemic more, uh, more manageable. And so, you know, we've seen this trend that, um, you know, a lot of companies, they're, they're not issuing guidance for the rest of the year, but, you know, that hasn't stopped analysts from, you know, asking, you know, the CEOs anyway for some guidance. And uh, that's right. Analysts can keep asking the questions, but the CEOs understandably are reticent to give much specifics in terms of guidance or any kind of forecasting. But uh, I really enjoyed this exchange between Rick Wise and again, Kevin Lobo of Stryker in uh, concluding Stryker's analyst call, or at least during the, uh, during the middle of it, actually. But it felt like a, a good conclusion point for this podcast. Rick asked a, a great question as to how we should see Stryker in this case going forward, but I think it was an answer that can be uh, carried over to other companies. So let's hear from Rick Wise asking a question to Kevin Lobo of Stryker. Um, you said in your opening comments uh, uh, something like, we're prepared to emerge from the pandemic, a stronger, more efficient company. And I, I obviously see no reason to doubt that. Uh, and you're highlighting cutting discretionary spend, et cetera, focusing on the pipeline. But I, I, I'm just curious uh, what that means in your mind and what, how we should hear you. Are, are you saying, uh, Rick, as we get, or to all of us, are, are you, as we get back to a more normal procedure environment, we're going to grow as we did and our margins are going to be what they were? Or are you saying something more that you're trying to position the company to grow even faster with even better margins because you're taking special actions, special initiatives to plan for that? Do you see what I'm asking? Oh, I know exactly what you're asking. And my CFO on my Zoom screen is waving his head saying, please don't give guidance. And um, so, Rick, what I would tell you, I'll give you some qualitative commentary. 
So the qualitative commentary is what the, the pandemic has provided us is, is really shown us how effective we can be without having to, to be the high-cost, high-travel company we've been historically. We, we're a very high-touch culture. We're realizing that there's a lot that we can do virtually that will be permanent. Um, there's a lot of education, the med-ed, that, that some of it you have to do in person, cadaver lab type, but there's others that, that you don't, you can do very, very effectively and efficiently virtually. The, the, the buildings and facilities that we have, a lot of, we're going to embrace flexible work arrangements going forward, and we are not going to need the same real estate by any stretch that, that we have today. And a lot of our CapEx over the past few years has been on office buildings, and because of our growth and all the headcount we've been adding and all the companies we've been acquiring, and frankly, uh, we're, we're seeing a big change in what's going to be required in the future. So those are all areas on the efficiency front. And what I would tell you is this pandemic has shrunk our company. Our divisions are collaborating more than, than ever. And I, I think the nature of the pandemic has caused our divisions to work more together. And, and that's sort of one of the, the untapped assets of Stryker is as, as we collaborate, we're seeing it with our ASC offense. We're seeing it with the 3D printing. We're seeing it with, with you know, sort of technology areas where uh, different divisions can tap into uh, enabling technologies, as an example, and uh, we're collaborating better than we ever have before. And, and I think that will continue once we go back to, let's say, some a more normal environment. And it, it's really un- unleashing a, a different kind of potential. So I, I can't put a fine point on numbers related to this, Rick, but I, I, I am feeling uh, tremendous momentum in the company. And uh, the culture is very strong. And the, these changes are going to make us better as an organization going forward. Um, how we use our, those efficiencies that we, we generate, it certainly gives us confidence and we'll get back to the, the nice off-margin expansion you saw over the past couple of years. That gives us you know, tremendous con- confidence we can continue that. But I, but I think there's, there's some untapped potential in our divisions and, our, and through collaboration that we're going to start to see manifest itself in our results. All right, Chris. Well, it's evident that no one can predict the future, but we can find you on social media, can't we, Chris? Yes, you can find me on uh, social media on LinkedIn. You can find me on Twitter at Newmarker, just like a new marker. Uh, always, uh, always happy to chat with people. And I'm also available on the social media. I am on LinkedIn, Tom Salemi. I'm on Twitter at MedTechTom. And uh, please do uh, share this podcast. Look for a write-up. We'll have a write-up, Chris, on which of our new sites will we have this, uh, this, this wrap-up, this, uh, this summation. We will have this wrap up on medical design and outsourcing, and you know we'll be uh, doing a little little stub of it on uh, on mass device too, so you can catch it on both of the sites. Fantastic! So folks can uh, share this podcast; they can look for that uh, that article and share that as well. Make sure you tag Chris and I when you do that, and uh, please don't forget to s- subscribe to Device Talks Weekly. It's been a joy to bring this to you every week. We'd love to. Uh, we'll continue to do that. We want to make sure you're one of the first to get it. So push the subscribe button. We're on Spotify. We're on uh, Podcast Player for Apple. Everywhere you need us to be, we're there. Make sure you uh, you do what you need to do to get these uh, future episodes sent directly to your listening device. And uh, that's it, folks. Tune in next week. We'll have another great episode of the Device Talks Weekly podcast for you. Take care. Stay healthy.